You're listening to So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast about the world of writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm your co-host and CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, where you'll find writing courses, resources, and a wonderfully supportive writing community. I usually co-host this podcast every week with the talented Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate. Her latest book is The Wolf's Howl, and it's the second book in the Maven and Reeve mystery series. This, though, is one of our in-between episodes, so it's just me and you and a story session, which is our guest author of the week. This is where you'll hear the first chapter of a book that we recommend, read by the author, along with some insights into their writing life and their creative process. So we're bringing the bookshop to you. And this week, I'm really excited because we've got The Housemate by Sarah Bailey. I love Sarah's writing. I love Sarah's books. This is particularly exciting because this is Sarah's fourth published novel and her first standalone book outside of her very popular Gemma Woodstock crime series. And I'm so, so happy for Sarah because she is um, alumna of the Australian Writers' Centre. She did our course Creative Writing uh, a while back and oh, hasn't looked back. It's absolutely fantastic. And I love seeing her go from success to success. In this novel, we're introduced to a new protagonist, investigative journalist Olive Groves. Here's the blurb so you can find out a little bit more about what the book is about. Three housemates, one dead, one missing, and one accused of murder. Dubbed the housemate homicide, it's a mystery that has baffled Australians for almost a decade. Melbourne-based journalist Olive Groves worked on the story as a junior reporter and became obsessed by the case. Now, nine years later, the missing housemate turns up dead on a remote property. Olive is once again assigned to the story, this time reluctantly paired with the precocious millennial podcaster Cooper Ung. As Ollie and Cooper unearth new facts about the three housemates, a dark web of secrets is uncovered. The revelations catapult Ollie back to the death of the first housemate, forcing her to confront past traumas and insecurities that have risen to the surface again. What really happened between the three housemates that night? Will Ollie's relentless search for the murderer put her new family in danger? And could her suspicion that the truth lies closer to home threaten her happiness and even her sanity? Before you hear Sarah reading the first chapter from her book, she answers some of my questions about her writing process and how the novel came about. And if you want to hear more from Sarah, we interviewed her back in episode 252 of So You Want to Be a Writer about her second book, Into the Night, and also in episode 215 when she released her hugely popular debut novel, The Dark Lake. So here is Sarah Bailey and her latest novel, The Housemate. Hi, I'm Sarah Bailey and I'm the author of The Housemate. Valerie's asked me to record some answers to some questions before I narrate the first chapter of The Housemate. I've got a little helper with me who's going to ask me the questions. What inspired you to write this story? So the inspiration for The Housemate was sort of, um, it came over quite a few years to be honest. I initially had the idea of a dinner party gone wrong scenario and I was playing around with a cast of characters um, at, at a sort of a fated dinner party and then it sort of evolved into um, being a cold case story with a journalist investigating something that had happened 10 years earlier. So I was sort of playing around with those two threads of stories and 
there was a couple of news articles that I was reading at the time that I guess just added a little bit of extra thought to that that idea. Um, and then I ended up attending a couple of court cases as part of research for the book, and that I think also helped to sort of um, add a little bit more uh, of the layering of the story. So, yeah, it ends up being a bit of an eclectic mix of um, lots of different elements coming together. Can you describe your writing process? So my writing process is completely chaotic, I would say. It's very much fit around other things in my life, so it's a little bit of a jumble. This particular book was written mainly throughout lockdown in Melbourne um, in 2020. So in a way, I had the luxury of time that I don't normally have, um, but it was very much written late at night after you know a, a long day of work and, and homeschooling. So yeah, it was it was a good distraction from everything that was going on, but it was um, it was a, a very hard slog at the same time. What was the most challenging aspect of writing this book? I think the most challenging aspect of writing this book is the same as all of the books that I've written so far, and that's just weaving all of the different plot lines together. I find it really challenging to um, get through the middle part of the book and get to an ending that's going to sort of make sense. And this book was was no different to that. Um, I don't plot in advance, so I do end up having to sort of work it all out as I go, which is really fun, but also really difficult. So I, I definitely had to rewrite quite a lot of this book, but I think that's just part of the way that I, I write. So I, I try not to fight against that anymore. What was the most rewarding aspect of writing this book? I was, <laughs> I think finishing it was pretty rewarding. Um, having my publisher say that she really liked it was definitely a, a massive highlight in the process of this story. Um, I think having written a series um, in the Dark Lake and having stayed with the one character for three books um, in Detective Gemma Woodstock, it was really nice writing a brand new book, a standalone novel, um, and, and sort of making it work. I guess there's always that fear that, you know, you won't be able to make a book work. And I think that's particularly the case after writing a series and then switching to a standalone. So that that was definitely incredibly rewarding to sort of, I guess, be able to tick that off. And finally, what are your top three tips to aspiring writers? Uh, I mean, there's so many different tips out there. I think um, things that help me, um, definitely reading. I, I find reading sort of akin to going to an art gallery or something like that. I just, I find it so not only inspiring, but it kind of um, just gets, I think, all of my ideas flowing. So I, I really always am reading. It doesn't matter what I'm writing. I'm always reading. And whether I'm reading in or out of genre, it doesn't really matter. I just think that reading other people's work um, definitely gives me a, a good kick to keep trying to write better myself. Um, starting writing, don't not putting it off. Um, it's, it's the biggest trap, um, you know, I think in terms of procrastination to sort of avoid writing until you have time um, because you're never going to have time. So I've kind of reframed my relationship with time and I think that's really helped with my writing. I don't wait till I have big blocks of time. I just write whenever I can, even if it's 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour, um, or if I do have the luxury of an afternoon or a day, which is rare, um, I just I try not to fight against it. I try to make sure that I can um, fit in whatever it might be. It could be editing a chapter, 
um, you know, anything is progress. And I guess that's something I've really tried to um, reframe in an ongoing way. Um, And another tip I think would be to listen to other people but also not fight against your own method and your own style. I think there's a lot of um, sort of guilt around the way different people work and needing to kind of do things the way that other people do them. And, um, I mean, I'm, I'm a terrible example of um, a writer in so many ways. I don't, I don't plan things in advance. I don't plot my stories. And I've kind of just made peace with that. And I think that gives you a lot of, um, a lot of freedom to do it however it is going to work for you. Uh, now, I'm going to narrate the first chapter of my new book, The Housemate. Uh, so here goes. Saturday, 3rd of October, 2005, early. Through the dust and faded bird shit on the windscreen of her Mazda, Ollie Grove watches the cops huddled next to the letterbox of 28 Paradise Street, St Kilda. The cop who just yelled at her, the bow-legged beanpole with the constellation of freckles and the permanent smirk, is talking animatedly and pointing a finger aggressively toward the house. His hot breath forms comical white clouds, but the faces of his colleagues remain solemn. Piss off, he snapped, when he encountered Ollie standing on the bottom step of the porch, peering into the front door of the house. Ollie's pulse is racing, although she's not sure whether that's from his reprimand or the MDMA still coursing through her system. Before Beanpole blocked her view, she saw into the dark hallway. Furniture on its side, the glint of glass on the worn floorboards. The curve of a female body lying there naked, a gaping wound in her abdomen half-open eyes staring blankly at the wall. Ollie squeezes her own eyes shut, then blinks a few times, shakes her head and sniffs, adjusting the rearview mirror to check her hastily applied makeup. With her fingers, she combs her long blonde hair, knotty with stale hairspray. The image of the dead body is fixed in her mind. Come on, come on, keep it together, Ollie. Clearly Joe was desperate or she wouldn't have called you. She must know this is going to be big. What if it's a proper story and you get to file it? Ollie's gaze shifts to the police tape that Beanpole tied firmly to the wooden fence post after their exchange, before looking along the path, up the short flight of brick stairs to the concrete porch and open front door. The house itself appears innocent enough, though perhaps a tad neglected. The white weatherboards have a skirt of dirt and the tiled roof is covered in lichen. The patchy lawn has been recently mowed, but the garden beds are thick with weeds. To the left of the front door sits a pair of terracotta pots with brightly coloured flowers spilling out in cheery puddles. A rainbow dream catcher dangles behind the glass of what Ollie assumes is a bedroom window. Movement draws her eyes back to the front door. Chief Inspector Gregory Bowman emerges from the house dressed in full scrubs, a young woman next to him. Ollie gasps. The woman is covered in blood. A police-issue blanket hangs around her shoulders. Her light brown hair is limp and her feet are encased in crime scene booties. She's crying, tears smearing the blood on her cheeks. Bowman gestures for her to move along the porch where she is shielded by a hedge wall. He speaks briefly to a woman who covers the speaker of her mobile phone to listen. Their heads bent close. Bowman looks much older in real life than he does on TV. Deep lines tunnel across his forehead and his unusually thick hair has almost finished its transformation from dirty silver to crisp snow. A trio of plainclothes detectives arrive, all men. They duck under the police tape and march purposefully along the path, ignoring the cops, including, Ollie notes with satisfaction, 
an eager-faced beanpole. There's no sign of Isabel Yardley, and Ollie's skin crawls with relief and a strange desire to sate her curiosity, to tug at a loose thread, to tempt fate. It's bloody freezing. Her heart thumps as she rubs her hands together and cranks up both the heater and the radio. She begins to make notes in her book as the blood-soaked body flashes back into her mind. The ABC News Bulletin reports that police have been called to a residence in St Kilda regarding the discovery of a body, but relays nothing more than Ollie already knows. More cops turn up and congregate on the lawn. It starts to drizzle and the muck on her windscreen morphs into ugly brown streaks. Ollie's vision begins to blur just as a large hand wraps sharply on the driver's window. She jerks in fright, throwing her weight against the car seat. Then she winds down the window and thrusts her middle finger into Rob's laughing face. Want to get in? Her deep voice is even huskier than usual. Nah, I'm good. He squints at the house. He's wearing a t-shirt and jeans and goosebumps prickle Ollie's limbs. I can't believe Queen Jo isn't here. Rob lights a cigarette. She loves a dead body. She's at a wedding in the country. How odd to think she has friends. But hey, maybe you'll finally get a byline. Maybe. Ollie tips her head backwards, trying to focus. I saw the body. It's lying in the hallway. Rob looks impressed. Excellent. I really hate getting out of bed this early just for grievous bodily harm. And there's a girl on the porch behind the hedge with the blood all over her. Rob whistles. Ten bucks, says they're prostitutes. I don't have ten bucks. I'm broke till payday. You can owe me. She rolls her eyes. Joe wants a hero shot of Bowman and whoever else ends up leading this thing. Her wish is my pain in the ass. Rob blows a smoke ring skyward. Ollie stares at the black stain on the sun visor, trying to work out what it could be. Rob grins. Late night? Not really. She shimmies in the seat as she attempts to retrieve a tube of lip balm from her back pocket. He laughs. That's not what your party girl eyes tell me. Whatever. She smears the balm on her lips and pushes the visor against the ceiling. A wave of anxiety crashes over her. Joe should have sent TJ. No one's going to tell me anything. Not with that attitude, Rob agrees, yanking open her car door and winding up the window. Come on, we may as well get some mood pics while we wait for the gory details. A black Land Rover pulls up on the other side of the street. Melissa Warren from the Herald Sun is at the wheel, her dark bob hugging her sharp jawline. Rob pauses to photograph two people from the forensic unit coming out of the house, and Ollie almost runs up the back of him. The day seems reluctant to get started. The sky remains a murky grey, while the light rain has turned to a fine mist. Ollie tucks her notebook inside her jacket, wedging it under her arm. It's 6.39am, less than an hour since Joe first called, barking orders as Ollie paid the taxi driver and fumbled for her keys in the badly lit entrance to her apartment block. She didn't even shower. She just swapped her heels and dress for one of her sister's clean shirts and a pair of suit pants on the clothes horse, spritzed perfume on her wrists and brushed her teeth. Now her tongue stings from the boiling coffee she bought at the McDonald's drive through and she can still taste the bacon and egg McMuffin she wolfed down. An alarming clamminess is creeping across her body, her hangover threatening to take hold. Melissa Warren sidles up next to them, looking at Ollie with undisguised contempt before casting her eyes skyward as if the gloomy weather is a personal insult. She brushes invisible lint from her tailored jacket and asks, Where's Joe? Ollie squares her shoulders. Out of town. Shame, Melissa looks pleased. 
This is a juicy one. How so? Rob cracks his gum and appears bored. Well, Bowman was first on the scene, so it must be meaty, though of course the cops can hardly afford to dilly-dally. Melissa lists the recent unsolved homicides, ticking them off on her manicured fingers. She clearly delights in holding court, and Ollie finds her overt confidence both grotesque and magnetic. Ollie's entire cadetship has been a parade of people like Melissa, who sashay through life with an easy smile and answers at the ready. Ollie hopes this carrot will magically bestow itself upon her at some point, or at the very least, she will get better at faking it. And, Melissa adds, a female killer always has the public gagging. She walks ahead, heels tapping assertively on the cracked path. Good luck, kids, she calls over her shoulder. Reckon she's a bloody TV anchor, Rob mutters, flaring his nostrils. Pity about her face. Ollie gives him a look, even though she's certainly not about to defend Melissa. More journalists arrive, their faces alive with the prospect of murder, walking briskly down the wide street flanked by scruffy cameramen. In stark contrast, neighbours emerge from nearby houses looking bewildered. A young couple watch the detectives on the lawn from the front yard of the house next door. Their toddler son, clad in a woolen jumper, nappy and gumboots, smacks a plastic spade against an upturned bucket. Four elderly ladies, one in a peach dressing gown, stand in a huddle on their front porch, whispering to each other. A bald man with a neck tattoo rocks back and forth while holding a bored-looking tabby, and a middle-aged couple in gym gear are trying to wrangle three fluffy white dogs. Words start to arrange themselves in Ollie's mind. Last night, a house on Paradise Street, St Kilda, was the scene of a terrible tragedy. Neighbours were shocked to discover that a young woman had been killed, her body found in the early hours of Saturday morning. The noise punch of a backfiring car jerks Ollie's thoughts to the present. Bowman's up. Rob gestures to the house. Her nerves skyrocket again. Right. Hold this. He hands her his camera and reties his straggly hair into a loose knot at the nape of his neck. What time do you need to file? Joe said she wants something to review by nine. He takes the camera back. You'll be fine. And bonus, it stopped raining, so I'll get some decent pics. Ollie smiles at him gratefully and joins the throng of journos clambering to get to Bowman. Familiar faces jostle around her, sickly sweet perfume mixing with warm coffee breath. Phones ping with texts. The sun breaks through the clouds and Ollie squints, pen poised as questions rumble around her. Who lives at the property, she calls out, adding to the chorus. Quiet, please. Bowman's rich baritone demands attention. He pauses and looks slowly from left to right, a tired old cattle dog ready to round up the sheep. I'm going to make a brief statement about the circumstances we are dealing with here this morning, but there is minimal information at present, so I expect we'll hold a formal press conference at a later time. I won't be answering any questions this morning, understood? The mob nods, disappointed. A young woman is deceased, and we are treating her death as suspicious. Bowman's tar-thick voice catches pleasantly on the tails of certain words. Through the hedge, Ollie glimpses the blood-stained woman wrapped in the police blanket. A shiny blue Ford pulls up behind Ollie's Mazda, blocking the end of a driveway. Detective Sergeant Isabel Yardley emerges. Ollie immediately finds it impossible to focus on what Bowman is saying. Her eyes are glued to Isabel. We understand that the victim lived at the property with two other people. Bowman pauses, acknowledging Yardley with a nod. 
They will both be questioned, but we believe a number of people were at the property last night and we will be speaking to those individuals as soon as possible. Yardley ducks under the checkered tape and sails up the driveway. Her charcoal suit clings to her petite frame and the fat curl at the end of her ponytail swings like a pendulum. She steps onto the front porch and turns, her laser-like stare landing on Ollie. Bowman's voice fades into a hum as Ollie's legs wobble. Her heartbeat echoes in her head. Yardley refuses to break the stare, her, vo- her face devoid of emotion. The emerging sunshine does nothing to quell the chattering of Ollie's teeth. Does she know? She must know. No, you're being paranoid. He would have told you. Ollie's senses go into overdrive. Memories flood her system and she feels both intense dread and the heady bliss of last night. She's acutely aware that Isabel Yardley has the power to ruin it all and that that loss would cripple her. For a horrible second, she thinks she'll be sick. She shudders through a deep, anchoring breath. I'm not yet prepared to discuss how the young woman died, Bowman says, but I can confirm that the scene in the house is quite confronting and we'll be allocating significant resources to get to the bottom of what happened as soon as possible. Bowman folds his arms, indicating he is finished. The media mob stirs and shouts questions again. Yardley pauses briefly to speak to the other detectives on the front porch before stepping into a set of scrubs and disappearing into the house. Ollie exhales. A desperate screech cuts through the frenetic buzz. Get your hands off me! Heads whip around and cameras hone in on an overweight crying woman who is stumbling up the street. She tries to pull away from a man who's running after her and tugging on her handbag. Finally, she breaks free and runs into the crime scene tape, which slingshots her backwards. She crumples into a messy heap, hands pressed to the concrete path. My baby, she cries sobbing. Evelyn, no. The man shuffles over and squats next to the woman, placing his hands awkwardly on her shoulders. This is your fault, she screams at him. Your fault. Still sobbing, she claws at his fingers and dislodges his grip. Yardley reappears on the porch, where she zips open her scrubs and steps elegantly out of the white material. Her face is firm, but her gaze sympathetic as she surveys the screaming woman and makes her way across the lawn. Looking stricken, the young woman in the blanket emerges from behind the hedge. Several journalists gasp at the blood covering her face and hands. Yardley pauses, glancing back and forth from the porch to the street. Alex, the older woman scrambles to her feet, her eyes blazing. What happened? Where's Evelyn? Alex sinks to her knees, sobbing. I'm so sorry. The blanket slips off her shoulders to reveal a pale blue jumper stained with blood. I'm just so sorry. This is an amazing crime thriller that is going to be another big hit for Sarah. So get your hands on it ASAP. The Housemate by Sarah Bailey is published by Alan and Unwin, and it's out now. As I mentioned, Sarah is one of our superstar graduates at the Australian Writers' Centre. Before she published her debut novel, she enrolled in Creative Writing Stage 1. It's the perfect place to start. Have a listen to Sarah's experience. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1. This course is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Let's hear from Sarah Bailey. My name's Sarah Bailey. Um, I've got a debut novel 
through Alan and Umlin out at the moment. It's called The Dark Lake, it's a crime thriller. I was working in advertising at the time and I was working at a great company and had a really sort of good career, but I just had this burning desire to write all the time. I'd heard really good things about the Australian Writer Centre's course. Um, the reviews were always really positive and people always sort of providing really good feedback on social media. So um, I just thought that was a really good place for me to start. I found Nicole Hayes, the tutor that I had in the course that I did through the Australian Writer Centre, really inspiring. Um, really down-to-earth um, teaching style, but just a really great way of um, pulling together some of the writing skills that she's picked up over the years. She had such a passion for narrative and structure um, and being a published author, she had some, some really practical um, advice and knowledge to share as well. The process for me was just setting my own deadlines, which was something that was covered off in the Australian Writer Centre's course as well. Went, this is how many words I'd like to have by these different points along the year and then I um, just worked towards getting the words down and then I sort of um, approached agents and then the agents helped me approach publishers. In the end when Alan and Umland decided to publish the novel and um, that was all confirmed, it was, it was amazing. It was just such an amazing um, experience to go through and I felt really fortunate um, but also really proud because it had obviously been you know, a really hard, um, hard sort of journey to get there. Through the course at the Australian Writers' Centre, I discovered that writing was something that was really, really important to me. And then of course, you know, through meeting the people and the tutor that I had, I also picked up a lot of really invaluable skills as well. I think it really just set me off on the right path. Um, and then since then, obviously, so much has happened in my world in terms of writing that I really do see it as the first step um, that, I, that I took along that path. It's amazing. I've, I feel very, very fortunate to be in the position where that's, that's my current life. So I think that was, a, that was hugely important um, in terms of getting, getting started. Definitely anyone who's interested in writing and sort of taking a, a more serious step toward that as a career or even just a, a more specific hobby. I think the Australian Writer Centre's courses are really worthwhile. I think it's just, it's always nice to be um, in an environment where people are passionate about what you're passionate about. Um, and I think that the, um, the skills and the information that you get from, from courses like that just, just help you sort of really focus. For me, the creative writing course was, was a great starting point. I think it just made me um, rediscover my love for writing at a basic level all over again. Um, so I think that I've definitely spoken to other friends and have suggested that they give it a shot. If you'd like to find out more, go to writerscentre.com.au slash creativewriting. Thanks for listening to this special episode of So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find more details about the podcast and a wealth of writing resources and courses at writerscentre.com.au. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre. Connect with us on social media at writerscentreau, on Twitter and Instagram, and join our free podcast listener community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. Both Alison and I will be back to our regular programming in your next episode. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time.